have seen your faithfulness. You never break your promises. You are good, always good, my Jesus. on the screen or not this next song is yes I will I forget who it's by but if you type in yes I will lyrics into Google that'll bring it up on your smartphone if you'd like but also we've sing this song for years so I do think you're gonna know it uh, let's go ahead
same words. I count on one thing. I count on one thing. The same God that never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God who's never late is working all things out. You're working all things out. Oh, yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days. Oh, yes. actually not be quite as familiar to you so without words it might be tricky because this is the only second time we've sang this song but it's called same God and so to be honest a lot of it's really repetitive um, because isn't that somewhat the definition of faithfulness he is repetitive you can count on his mercies being new every day you can count on that sun rising I said to my husband this morning we can count that spring is coming <laughs> right Right? He is the same God who's been faithful through all generations. So let's sing this together. I'm calling on the God of Jacob, whose love endures through generations. I know that you will keep your covenant. I'm calling on the God of Moses, the one who opened up the ocean. I need you now to do the same thing for me. Oh God, my God, I God, my God, I need you now. How I need you now. Oh, rock, oh, rock of ages, I'm standing on your faithfulness. On your Calling on the God of Mary, whose favor rests upon the lowly. I know with you all things are possible. I'm calling on the God of David, who made a shout. 
shepherd boy courageous I may not face Goliath but I've got my own giants oh God my God I need you oh God my God I need you now how I need you now oh rock oh rock of ages I'm standing on your faithfulness on your children then you hear your children now you are the same God you are the same God you answered prayers back then and you will answer now you are the same God you are the same God you were providing you're providing now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You moved in power then. God move in power now. You are the same God. You song you need to look it up it's called unchanging god i believe this is by elevation worship i'm not sure but if you're looking it up on your smartphone for the words unchanging god
ring true for each one of us this morning. My wife right now literally is driving our son to Springfield Air Base where he will fly out today and it's a little little anxiousness, a little worry in our lives and he'll be gone in the next nine to twelve months and God this is what we raised them for, right? To kick them out, to send them on their way. On the same token, this afternoon we'll celebrate our daughter's tenth birthday. So you got these mix of emotions and it's a full day for us. God's good in all of it. Many of you understand what these moments are like. That's how life is. You, you're, for one moment, you're worried. The next minute, you're celebrating. The next minute, you're grieving. It's just all of these ups and downs. And through it all, God is faithful, walks with us, holds our hand, laughs with us, celebrates, cries with us. And I find comfort in that. This is not new to him. Uh, there, there's, he's not worried. He, he's got it all under control, and we're going to trust him with that, and in the good and the not so good and the, the known and the unknown. Maybe it's the unknown that gets us the most, right? Things that we can't control, things we have to let go of. So those let go of moments where that unchanging God can become real to each one of us. And he's real for me this morning. And I pray that he becomes real for you as well. We go to him in prayer. Whatever it is you're holding on to, loosen your grip a little bit. Whatever it is that you're worried about, whatever you might be facing tomorrow, give it to him. He's already there. He's already working on it on your behalf. We should find great comfort in that this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, you are unchanging. These last several weeks, as we've talked about this idea and this theme of covenant, we're reminded that you keep your promises. You do what your word tells us you will do. You are, Father, what you're, who your word teaches us you are. And this, this relationship that we enter into, this journey we find ourselves on, it's one of discovery. It's one of learning. We learn about you. We, we learn about your faithfulness. We learn, oh Lord, about the depth of your love for each of us. And along the way, as we learn more about you, something funny begins to happen in our lives. We learn more about ourselves. What's real? What really matters? We learn about our priorities. The things, Lord, that drag us down, the things that lift us up. It's a season of discovery one that you walk with us through. You help us climb the mountains. You're with us in the midst of the valleys. The good moments and the not so good moments, Lord, you're there. And you use each of those seasons of life to help us to become stronger, to better prepare and equip us, Lord, to help others. We've heard from so many friends this week that have been right where Amy and I are right now. And we don't ask for sympathy. We're not asking for sorrow. We don't need that. But we do need the encouragement of those that have walked the same path before us. And that's where the faith family becomes such an integral and important part for each one of us. We become the hands and feet of Jesus, encouraging and lifting up. Sometimes it requires words. Sometimes it just requires presence. 
All the while, as we love one another, we get to be you. Lord, today, no matter what it is we might be carrying or where we might find ourselves this morning, help us to know that we are not alone. You are with us. We are not alone, Lord, because we're surrounded by friends and family. And maybe we know a lot of names here. Maybe we're brand new and we're just getting to learn, learn a few. Regardless of, of our station, Lord, or where we might be, help us to know that we're in a place where people care, where they matter. Father, we may not take that for granted. We do lift up, Lord, those that are grieving this week. There's some, Lord, that have experienced loss. Think of the Mills family and the Powers family, Father, that are grieving. I pray, Lord, to those that have been grieving for a long time, wondering when it's going to get better. Why is it still hurt? And it hurts, Lord, because we dared to love. Because those that you have blessed us with in order to share life with, when we lose them, it matters. We get to carry on and live out the, the, the things about them that we loved. In essence, continuing their story. For the ones, Lord, that are struggling uh, this time of year where there's not as much sunshine, where it gets a little bit colder, we get discouraged, anxious, or even depressed. Lord, help them to know, Lord, that they don't go through these seasons alone. For the one that has received perhaps word from a doctor that's not so encouraging. May they turn to the great physician this morning. May we put our trust in you. For the moms and dads, God, that are tired, perhaps at wit's end, on what to do, Lord, with, for, for their children, with their children. Father, give them wisdom. Give them rest. Give them friends. For the husbands and wives, the relationship's not what it once was. To remind us, Lord, of the covenant that we entered into, the commitment and the vows that we've made. At the very heart of those things, Lord, the, the, the weddings are easy. The, the life part is hard. The marriage, Lord, can be challenging it. But, Lord, it's, it's those difficult moments where we become stronger together. And I pray for the ones right now that are struggling. They would turn to you. No matter what life situations we're facing right now, help us to know there's an unchanging God right beside us. Lord, be in this place this morning as we open up your word. We want to learn something new. We want you to stretch us. And in so doing, God, change us. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to come together, whether it be in person or online, Lord. Uh, this, this day was not a very good weather day, Lord, but I'm just blessed to see how many have come out this morning to worship, to be together, to be with you. Word of God, speak. Holy Spirit, come. God, be glorified. Be pleased with our worship this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. And we do thank you for coming today and for choosing to be here on a very, very cold day. My truck did not like getting started this morning, but um, got me here and I'm thankful for that. And it's, I find myself, um, as I'm getting older, wearing my slippers more often. Uh, last Sunday afternoon, it was just one of those days and uh, kind of a, some issues with one of our kids and I had to rush out of the house to come for our Sunday evening collective, and I got in the truck and realized when I got to church I was still wearing my slippers. Um, fortunately, you really couldn't tell. Uh, but as it gets colder, and as I'm getting older, I begin to realize it more. Um, I know I'm getting older because I can't get hair to grow on my head, uh, but I can't stop it from growing out of my ears. Uh, it's one of those seasons of life, I guess. Uh, as you get older, I, found, I had to find a new doctor. New appointments and, and new, you know, 50-year-old tests and tests that just, quite honestly, aren't that much fun to talk about, and that would be an uncomfortable conversation. Uh, but as we live life, we, we'll come across these seasons and moments where we're faced with uncomfortable moments. And in fact, where Scripture lived out this morning, so many of us are living testimonies. Jesus warns us, warns his followers that you'll face trials of many kinds, but not to worry because we will overcome with his help. It's the uncomfortable moments, though, where he tends to show up, reveal himself, be it illness or mortality, finances, 
relationships, jobs, bills, people, bullies, whether it be with actions or with words, loneliness and depression, addiction, fear, failure. Each uncomfortable moment, perhaps these big giant moments in our lives make us at times feel small. These are very real things. They're, They're strong. They're overwhelming. And at times when we're facing them, we see no path to victory, but we live in covenant relationship with God, or at least the opportunity to walk in covenant with him. We, we're partners in covenant through Jesus Christ. And, and at times when we're facing these difficult, uncomfortable moments, we need to be reminded of this unchanging God that's invited us into relationship with him through the blood of his son, Jesus. We're going to continue to answer the question this morning, what difference does covenant make in our lives? We're going to talk about the so what and the now what. It's one thing to learn it, but it should be something that we take with us and apply to our lives. It should make a difference. What we learn and hear on Sunday should make a difference in our lives Monday through Saturday. If it's not yet making a difference in your life, there's still something missing. Perhaps you understand it, but you've not yet entered into it with God. God today continues to invite us to learn what Scripture is all about as we've been talking about these two themes that we see in God's Word, covenant and kingdom. Invited to be part of the kingdom of God through the covenant that he offers to us. God's word is about being, about doing, being with him and living out what his word teaches us, how it teaches us to live. If the Bible is about covenant, then one could realistically, logically expect scripture to be filled with covenant language. And at times when we read certain passages or stories or accounts in God's word, we read right over covenant language without even realizing it. But when we become aware of it, now the story begins to take on a different look. As if you're reading it through a new lens, often, perhaps, for the very first time. And we begin to see that covenant does make a difference in our lives. As we continue this discovery together, we're going to lay one more covenant brick, if you will, in our foundation for our conversation. We've been talking about a man named Abram. Uh, or Abraham, depending on where you're at in Scripture and, and where this covenant relationship is being lived out in his life. And in, in the story of Abraham, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 17 this morning. And, and Abraham's getting old. He's a little bit older than I was at this point. He's still waiting on the fulfillment of God's promise. God's made a promise to Abraham. Abraham has obediently followed after God, believing that God's going to fulfill his promise. But he's still waiting. And Abraham begins to have questions in the waiting, just like we do. And God graciously and patiently responds to Abram's questions with an uncomfortable conversation. Chapter 17, verse 1, we read, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you, and you will greatly increase your numbers. I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai, God says. Genesis chapter 17. Uh, There's none other that's more mighty than I. I am the one you want to follow. Walk before me and be blameless. I am this mighty and strong God. I am your protector. You don't have to make a covenant with others because I'm going to be your defender. I'm the one you want to walk with. I'm going to watch over you. I'm going to nurture you. I'm going to care for you. This name that God uses for himself would have been a very powerful and impactful name. He was making a statement to Abraham. Abram, you can trust me. I'm unchanging. This is who I am. He says, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. It doesn't say faultless. Praise the Lord. That's good news for each one of us. But he says, be blameless. Be be above reproach. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to at times fall and fail. But don't do it for the wrong reasons. Be blameless. Scripture continues, and and Abram falls face down, and God says to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. Verse 5, no longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. We talked about the covenant ceremonies, a part of it, where the, the names are then shared with one another. And God literally takes part of his name and puts it in Abram's name, and he becomes Abraham, which means the father of many nations. Now, Abraham loves the sound of this. He, he, he kind of likes where this is leading. 
but he's still raising up even more questions in his life. Verse 6 says, I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Abraham loves this idea. But remember, let's go back to verse 1. And verse 1 is in here for a very important reason. Abram was 99 years old. That, even in biblical standards in this point of time, was very old to be the father of many nations. So Abraham's like, this is not, what are you talking about? This, this doesn't happen to people my age. In fact, you continue reading in chapter 17. God tells his, Abraham and his wife Sarah, her name will, know, will now be Sarah, and I will bless her and give her a son. She will be the mother of many nations. And Abraham fell face down, and he laughed. I was like, Lord, that's funny. I love what I'm hearing, but this doesn't make any sense. It's, it's so comical to me to hear you say this. This is not how life works. So he's laughing, in a sense, at God. Ever laughed at God? <laughs> Hope not. And I don't think he's really laughing at God. He's kind of laughing at what God is saying. Just, just the, the whole ludicrousness of, of the statement. This just isn't natural. He's about to understand that God doesn't work in the same context that we do. He promises a son. Now we also see in verses 10 and 11 something very important when it comes to covenant. We see the name change. We see the promise but this uncomfortable conversation then really shows up. He said in verse 10, this is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You'd undergo circumcision. It'll be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Now, Lord, you're a creative God. Can you not have come up with something other than that? Abraham's like, really, Lord? I am 99 years old. Seriously? Now? That's pretty significant. Remember, step six of the covenant ceremony between two people required a mark on one's body. This was accomplished normally upon the palm or the wrist. But what mark does one make between a man and God? God requires circumcision. Quite simply, it, it, it's, it's, it's a cut, if you will. Circumcision, lit, or I'm sorry, a covenant literally means to cut, to cut deeply. And what God is saying, I'm, I'm going to cut where your priorities are where your values are. I'm going to cut in a place that requires complete surrender. Because in this culture, what was most important is this measure of success, this measure of blessing, was found in children. So God's really getting to the heart of the matter, literally. This is an uncomfortable conversation in many ways for Abram. Now Abraham, God is showing up and he's revealing these steps of the covenant in Abraham's life. In an Old Testament culture, God speaks to the one's greatest asset, your children. What God is saying to Abraham, I'm going to put a reminder on the source of man's procreation. God is saying to Abraham, on this part of your body that brings blessing into your life will be this mark, reminding you of our covenant. Reminding you that not only are you loved and, and that you and I are in covenant, but everything you have is in covenant, including your children. They belong to me. Then we see in this moment covenant language begin to just well out of this conversation. This uncomfortable encounter that Abraham is having with God, Abraham obeys. He's laughing, and, and God goes on to say, uh, a year from now, you're, you're going to have a son, and you're to name him Isaac. Isaac literally means he laughs. That your son's name is going to be this constant reminder of, of your lack of faith or belief in this moment. But I am going to be faithful and do in, in you and for you what I've told you I will do. Abraham gets up, and he obeys. That very day, circumcises the males in his household and acts on this idea of covenant, believing God. Now, we begin to see the language lived out. When you fast forward a little bit to 1 Samuel, we see the foundation laid in Abraham's life. And in 1 Samuel, we get to see it lived out in a very real and powerful way. 
1 Samuel chapter 17, there is a story that we're very familiar with. And it's, it's a tale that's been told for, for ages. Uh, even as a child, you know it. It's one of the, the popular Bible school stories that you perhaps have heard or taught over the years. And we read in 1 Samuel chapter 17, the story about a giant named Goliath. And it's a tale that doesn't need a whole lot of explanation, but if you're new to this idea of Scripture, there's some important things in the background that we need to understand. See, under, the, the, the Philistines have gathered their forces, Scripture tells us. And they, they're coming to war. And they've assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephnus Damnon between Soka and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the Valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. So when, when you go into battle and war, they would kind of create these lines. Not much changed for, for a long time when it came to fighting battles. Your army would be on one side and the opponent would be on the other side. You would kind of face each other. And once in a while there would be a battle where you just kind of charge in straight lines and you think someone would come up with a better plan and eventually they did. But two armies, two mountains, one valley. And the Philistines, though, they're kind of waiting. There's another way that you could fight a war. There's a different type of battle you could have. And you could send your best soldier, and the, the opponent could send their best soldier. Instead of it just people dying needlessly in the middle of a valley, you could have this one-on-one -on -one combat. Now, the problem with that is the winner of the one-on-one -on -one combat, everyone else would be sub subjected to. So if you lost, the entire army then became subjects or slaves of the opposing army. So this is what's happening. The Philistines, they've got a secret weapon, if you will. They've got a soldier in their midst that is unlike one that the Israelites have ever seen. His name is Goliath. Scripture tells us he measures 9 to 10 feet tall. And Goliath, who was from Gath, comes out of the camp. He had a bronze helmet on his head. He wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. Now, that, of course, if you're taking um, count at home, that means about 125 pounds. Just his shield alone, his armor alone. On his legs were bronze greaves. He carried a bronze javelin that was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod. Its iron point weighed 600 shekels. That is about 15 pounds alone. This was a man to be reckoned with. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Why are you here? Am I not a Philistine? Are, are, are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we'll become your subjects. Goliath's kind of taunting, if you will, the people of Israel, mocking them, shouting out to them. And this, this continues to go on for quite some time. Then the Philistines say in verse 10, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man, let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed, terrified. They're afraid. As many of us are, if we were to face a physical giant that was 9 to 10 feet tall, we would just be quaking in our knees, if you will, afraid to, 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 to face someone who was carrying and armored and, and covered and, and had weapons of his disposal that he had in his hands. And then the story tells us about a little boy, teenager, if you will, named David. Shepherd. The youngest brother, the youngest son to a man named Jesse who was at home at the time watching over the sheep. His brothers were in the army, lining up facing Goliath, among those who were not responding or volunteering to fight. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to war, Scripture tells us, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shema. David, the youngest, was at home. He would go back and forth from Saul and to watch the sheep and to take supplies was a, a, a normal journey for David. And this, after 40 days, the Philistines uh, of, of taunting, uh, the, this, wouldn't you think this would get old eventually? Wouldn't you think someone would just attack? But they're, they're kind of waiting each other out. Now Jesse says to David, take this bread and take this, this cheese and take this grain to your brothers. Give them to the, the, the commander who feeds everyone. And then while David's there, he wants to check in on his brothers. He wants to give a report back to his father. We see in verse 20, early in the morning, David left the flock with the shepherd, loaded up, and set out. He reached the camp, just as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting their war cry. Israel, Israelites, Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines to face each other, and David left his things, ran to the battle lines, and greeted his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath the Philistine, champion from Gath, stepped up from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David 
heard it. We're familiar with this story. We know what's going on. This has been their battle strategy now for 40 days. Send out your best. This winner-take-all confrontation. In this corner, we've got Goliath. He's nine feet tall. At that point, it doesn't really, really matter how tall he was. He was a giant. And in this corner, we have, insert crickets chirping. It's no one's volunteering to face this man before them. They're all with Saul, David's brothers, and all the men of Israel in the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. In walks David, this youngest son, uh, this DoorDash deliverer, dropping off food for his brothers. He he runs to the front line to kind of catch an idea of what's going on. These soldiers, these warriors, are nothing but a bunch of whiners. These, These brothers he's looked up to, they're just standing there. And David's probably a little confused. Guys, I looked up to you. You're just going to stand here and listen to me? All the while, they, they see the giant in front of them, and, and David walks into this conversation, not about war strategy, but rather a group of men or soldiers or leaders that are commiserating their situation. Even the king himself has been unwilling to do anything up to this point. And David then inserts himself into the story. He's listening to the mumbling. And he asks the men, Scripture tells us in verse 26, standing near him, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Let's not miss this. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? See, David knows who he is. But he also knows whose he is. David is in this moment facing this nine to ten foot tall giant. Everyone else is is terrified. But David doesn't forget one of the most important factors for the people of Israel. David is in covenant with God. And he sees not a giant, but he sees an opponent that's not. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? This is David reminding the people of Israel who they are, but also reminding them who Goliath really is. Verse 27, they repeated to him what they had been told, uh, the, what, what kind of reward they would receive. But then Eliad, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking, and he gets angry. Why have you come down here? Who did you leave those few sheep with in the desert? I know how conceited you are and wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. To Eliab, this isn't even about David. This is Eliab covering his own fear. He's covering his own cowardice. In reality, he knows what David is speaking is true. And at the heart, we know that it's true. We understand what David's saying, but when we come face to face with the giants in our lives, they're really big. We have choices to make. Do we act as people that live in covenant with God? Or do we try to find a way around the giant? Are we willing to face the unknown, the uncertain? Do we really believe that God is with us? We'd have the idea of an unchanging God when we're just down on our back and we need someone to lift us up. But what about when God wants us to fight? What do we do then? Covenant's a great idea when God can help us. But what if God wants us then to act and to help him? To put our covenant into action. To put our beliefs into motion. To live out our priorities, even if it's in conflict or in opposition to our culture. Do we stand up and recognize that we are in covenant with God? Do we kind of join in? Do do we kind of mesh into the crowd? Do we become the whiners? Who's this uncircumcised Philistine? Who's this out-of-covenant person mocking our God? I don't care how tall he is. I don't care if his shield is so big someone else has to carry it. He's not in covenant, but I am. And my covenant partner is God. And what David is saying is nothing else matters. Let's do this. Verse 33, Saul kind of gets wind of what's happening and realizes that David is willing to kind of volunteer. He actually says to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. I'll go fight him. Can you just seek Saul's face? You know, like, that makes me feel better. You're just a kid. Saul tries to put on his armor onto David and says, you're, 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 you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy. He's been a fighting man from his youth. But then David says to Saul, I've been keeping my father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. 
When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servants killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he's defied the armies of the living God. Saul, let me remind you who you are, David say. You're facing this man who's not in covenant. Why are you so afraid? He's taunting us. We have to do something. In verse 37, we, we see this, this verse, the, the, the statement that David makes that's so key to us understanding the difference that covenant makes in our lives today. The Lord who rescued me, David says, from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Now, when I was reading this verse this week, something just kind of occurred to me, and it's probably occurred to me in different ways over the years. But let's not miss what David says. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. So the idea that David needed rescued is an implication that he was facing something bigger than himself. He was in a situation where he should have lost, where he should have died, where he should have succumbed. If you're facing a lion and a bear, most of us are not going to win that fight. David understands, God rescued me. But then he continues, that same God will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And what I, what I began to realize when I read this verse is that David understands the situation. David sees Goliath. He recognizes that's a pretty big spear. And I can't even get close enough to have a hand-to-hand fight with this guy. David recognizes how, what the odds and how they present themselves. But while David sees Goliath, he doesn't lose sight of God. He will deliver me. And perhaps today, we need to be delivered from the giants that are before us. And we need to be reminded that God offers us covenant. And the difference it makes in our lives is that we begin to understand this is not our battle. Verses 38 and 39, Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put on the armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword. He says, I can't go in these can't do this. I'm not used to them. They're, they're, they're too big. And then I think in a sense, David was making sure there'd be no mistake who was going to rescue him. It wouldn't be by human resources, by armor, or by weapons, but rather be because of God. David had the right perspective. See, Saul doesn't even volunteer as David is getting ready to go face Goliath to take his place. Even in this moment, he's, he knows that David's going to lose. I'm going I'm to be a slave to the Philistines forever. He lets him go do it. We begin to see a lot about Saul's character in this very moment, this, this king, if you will, letting a boy go and fight this giant. Probably begins to pack up his tent in a way, getting ready to either make a quick getaway or to just humbly surrender. But David understands what's happening. When Goliath came against the Israelites, the soldiers all thought, he's so big we can never kill him. But when David looked at the same giant, David thought, he's so big I can't miss. This is is going to be easy. It goes back to a movie when I was growing up that was pretty popular. Many of you are probably big fans. A man named Rocky. Faced such giants such as Apollo Creed and Clubber Lang and Ivan Drago. We could cue the music right now. And in this corner, we have David. We've got the giant over here, and we've got David over here. And can you just imagine, what were his brothers even thinking in this moment? Nice knowing you, Dave. We'll let Dad know you died a hero. Verse 47. You know how the battle goes. David picks up his five stones and he steps into battle with the Philistine. He says in verse 45, you, you come at me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. You're standing there mocking me. You're, you're calling me a dog. You're, you're cursing at me. You're cursing my God. But you don't live in covenant. I do. All those gathered there, verse 47 will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. He will give you, give all of you into our hands. Philistine moved to attack David, and David runs toward the battle line. 
He's so confident. He's so, he's, he, just, he just knows. He runs at the giant. When's the last time you ran at one of those giants that have been facing you in life? He says, my God's got this. With nothing but a stone in his hand. Cut his sling. Hit the giant in the one place where he was vulnerable. In the forehead. It was uncovered. Killed him instantly. Imagine the eyes of his brothers and of King Saul. The Philistines. The route was on. Because David believed. David didn't win the battle because he was better. Because he was a trained soldier. Because he was bigger or stronger. David won only because of his realized and lived out covenant relationship with God. Maybe our giants are not to be viewed as obstacles to a better life. But rather as opportunities to show others a difference that walking in covenant can make in our lives. See, it's the uncomfortable moments when God shows up that add to our story, our testimony. Those times, those things that we can share about God. We can share with others about who he is, the difference that he makes in our lives. It doesn't mean that all our troubles are going to go away. We're going to face giants. Scripture tells us that. But we can overcome because we live in covenant with him. And compared to our God, our giants, no matter how big, really are quite small. I'm not trying to trivialize or minimize our struggles. I know they're real. I get that. And I know they're big. But so is our God, church. It's one every month to remind each one of us today is so that we don't live our lives like Saul or like David's brothers, shrinking in the shadows of the giants before us. But we will run into the battle because we know God is with us. Covenant gives us authority. Covenant gives us confidence to face whatever it is that's before us. It's not foolishness or bravado or arrogance, as, as David's brothers accused him of having. It, it's not even overconfidence in ourselves. It's realizing that the battle is God's. He's unchanging. He will not let us down. So let me ask you this morning. Are the giants in your life that you're facing, are they winning? Are they, are they just keeping you standing on the sidelines? Are they creating in our lives reasons to whine and complain? Have we stopped seeing them as opportunities for God to show up in our lives and to show others who he is? Because as we face the unknowns, the uncertain in our lives, as David did in this moment, we're reminded that Abraham had to wait a long time for God's promises to be fulfilled in his life. But God did keep his promises. Will we answer God's call or his invitation into relationship? Or are we going to continue dancing around God while holding the hand of our world, things that our culture says that we need, living a compromised lifestyle that the world wants us to live? Understand that if that's the life we choose, we're just spectators of the battle. We just stand up on the ridge listening to the world taunt us. And in a sense, they've already won. Are we going to be like David? Calling the world what it truly is. It's uncircumcised Philistine. It's not in relationship with God. This whole conversation is about becoming one with him. About recognizing that he's our defender and protector and provider. About, about recognizing that there's nothing in this world that's worth having that, that's, that requires us to give him up that, that we should desire and chase after. By letting God rename us. Abram's become Abraham. And I'm Brian. I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. The word Christian, Christ. I, I'm in Christ. My identity is now found in sharing of the name of Christ. Jesus, I'm adopted in the family of God. He becomes my brother, my spiritual brother. I'm a child of God. Church, does that matter? Does it show up in our actions? But show up in how we face the giants that are before us. I'm still amazed at times that God wants to relate to us. But he does. He's our creator. If we've allowed anything to come between us, allowed anything to get in the way of our covenant relationship with him, and I pray that we would allow the spirit to reveal that to us. As we started our time together in prayer, just let go. Run into battle. Watch what God does.
invite you to stand with me. And I have been pretty upfront about over in our time together that I'm a flawed person. I've, I've failed in my life. I've struggled. I have limitations. I have hurts. I have scars, just like each one of us. We all do. I don't share those things because I'm proud of them, but rather there are moments that I can share how God's worked in my life. That's what I get excited about. It is every time I trip, God's there to help me up. There comes a point in time where I'm not supposed to trip as often. We're supposed to start to get things together. Even David himself, as he charged to face Goliath, made mistakes. Times where he failed. He had to humble himself, seek forgiveness. I don't know where you are in, in your covenant journey with God. But our God's unchanging. He has not moved. We're the ones who drift away. So perhaps today he's calling your name, inviting you to reconnect, to know once again that he's here, waiting loving. He's faithful. Let me pray for you this morning. Father, I know the giants that some of us are facing are real. I know the fear that comes with them is significant. I know that waiting can be difficult. I know the uncertainty, the, the not knowing can be paralyzing. Even right now, Lord, in this quiet place, I sense your spirit moving, patiently whispering, revealing those things in our lives, Lord, that are keeping us on the other side of the valley, that are keeping us from entering into the battle. We make excuses just like Eliab and David's brothers. We, we, we kind of justify our inaction. We're really good at those excuses. But at the end of the day, they're more than just excuses. It's a proclamation that we're not where we should be in our relationship with you. So God, I pray that your spirit would graciously, patiently, kindly remind us of who we are. Remind us today of whose we are. And the opportunity, Lord, that you offer to us might require something in our lives to be cut out. might require us, Lord, to surrender and to let go of some things. Lord, whatever you ask us to give up pales in comparison to the value of what life looks like when we walk hand in hand with you. Father, have your way with us. We thank you, Lord, for getting us here safely. We, we pray, Father, that even in these cold days, we'd be reminded that we serve a God who's going to help us weather even the harshest of seasons in life. Be glorified, Father, I pray today in your people. Lord, we thank you. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, we pray, amen. Go, battle is the Lord's. You are a people that live in covenant with him. Let's act like it. God bless you.